Greetings, and welcome to Beatles Stuffology, where two old friends sit about and talk BS, Beatles stuff, on a track-by-track -track basis pretty much for the sake of it. My name is JG McQuarrie, and I'm here with my co-host Andrew Deacon. Say hi, Andrew. Hello. Are you ready for another track from Please Please Me? Oh, yeah, and I'm determined to be upbeat, positive, and just on top of the world looking down on creation, because let's face it, this week, the Beatles aren't. No, well, that's exactly the attitude you want to have when you're covering a song called Misery. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what we're going to get stuck into this episode. And would I be correct in saying that this is not necessarily your favourite track on Please Please Me? Um, I would probably say that until we get on to discussing um, side two, I'd say it's probably the least favourite so far. But bearing in mind this is our fourth episode, Thank you very much for the applause, folks. Don't worry, calm down. This is the first one where where Mr. John Lennon takes the lead vocal. So it's got something interesting that we can discuss that makes it a break from the past. Because let's face it, it's, um, well, how can I put it? It's, it's a bit immature. Yeah, it's not the most sophisticated work, um, that I think they've ever covered. And like previously, when we've been talking about the, the, the other three songs, there's been a kind of running thread of enthusiasm. Like, even on um, P.S. I Love You, it's, it's you know, it's a, it's a small song, but, you know, there's, there's a bit of enthusiasm through it. I think this is the first kind of song that we've come across where that kind of animating energy isn't quite there in the same quantities i think there's a a slight sense of um just get it done um and it, i think the song really struggles to kind of overcome that uh, i mean so talking about lennon's vocals um they're okay but it's hard to it's hard to claim that this is the song he puts the most into in this album okay so i think at that point it's probably worth considering uh, what we know or what is the, the you know the common level of knowledge about this song and, you know, you go to various websites that either feed into or draw information from Wikipedia. And one of the key things it will tell you was that they wrote it because they were asked to write something for Helen Shapiro. So it was, as I think McCartney admitted himself, something where they were effectively hacks putting together a song for somebody else. So whether or not that, um, you know, imposed something restricting on, on their um, their ability to produce um, a song full of you know positive emotions is an interesting um, interesting thing to, to consider so you know I, I think it's not necessarily the case that they were writing something from the bottom of their hearts although there is a case to argue that you know McCartney's lyrics tend to be more upbeat and and the things that we associate with Lennon tend to be more of the self-pitying teenage schoolboy, um, you know, kind of poetry um, that you might find in a fourth form class at the back of the book, slightly embarrassed, you know, who I've got a big spot, what am I going to do, the girls won't love me kind of poem. Um, but it's not as though this is a song that had been played to death in the cavern or played to death in, in Hamburg. It was them trying out new things in, in their, their sort of co-writing style. Yeah, I mean, I think... The whole admission that um, McCartney has about the fact that it was hack work is, is kind of interesting in itself because hack work is, the idea of being a hack as a pejorative is a comparatively recent thing. Um, hack just used to mean like 
somebody who could competently bang something out, whether it was a writer or a musician or whatever it was. And that's kind of what I think Misery is. It's it's perfectly competent for what it is, but there's no there's no flair to it. There's no there's no real investment. And and, and in that sense, hack is the right word. But yeah, it it's it's sort of hack work in the old sense, I think, rather than necessarily the sort of more modern pejorative meaning of the word. And that is a new feature on our podcast called Etymology Corner with Scotland's own Susie Dent. <laughs> well, happy happy what? to provide any linguistic updates that you may require <laughs> as the episode goes on. <laughs> um, and funnily enough, the reason that I know all that about about the changing definition of the word hack is because of the other podcast I do, which is Doctor Who, and, and um, particularly Terry Nation, who invented the Daleks. Um, and Blake Seven and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, he's like the ultimate hack writer. He's just somebody who can bang stuff out. It's not always going to be great, but you know, if you give him a brief, he'll go away and he'll do it, and he'll come back with something which is probably broadcastable. Um, and that's kind of that's basically what misery is. It's basically broadcastable. Um, but yeah, I mean, well, I don't know whether the fact they wrote it for Helen Shapiro or not really impacts it. I mean, we've we've sort of. We've sort of touched slightly on it before, the fact that stylistically, Please Please Me covers a lot of ground. Um, so you've got rockers and you've got um, pop songs and you've got stuff which would go down well in, in sort of sort of more traditional dance halls and stuff like that. And and Misery is kind of in that mould. And, and whilst that obviously helps when you're writing for an artist like Helen Shapiro, um, it's not completely out of character for the rest of the album, which does have the sort of fairly broad stylistic range to it. I mean... I don't think Misery is necessarily the best example of, of kind of not pop or not rock kind of music on the album, but it is fulfilling um, it is fulfilling a role, I suppose, for, for the kind of audiences that would be more likely to go to, you know, the the Palladium Ballroom rather than the Cavern Club. And, you know, that's that's valid to write towards that kind of audience, or at least to record a song for that kind of audience since they didn't write it for themselves. So that it's it has a functionality to it. I think it's one of those songs that if it wasn't for the fact it was on the Beatles' first album, it would never get played ever again. You know, there are probably half a dozen bands who had a few hit singles in 62, 63, maybe even 64, who released albums and with the exception of a few diehard fans, um, perhaps now in their, their 60s, well, 70s, 80s, no one else is going to listen to it. And Misery would be one of those songs. It's only, dare I say it, um, people like us um, or the good users of Genius.com who perhaps are, are keeping the flame alive uh, for these um, quirky elements of popular culture history. Because, you know... It, you're not going to hear this on the radio. I mean, okay, so radio that, that focuses on um, you know, what you might call nostalgia porn, if you like, is always going to pull from the, um, you know, the choice cuts. You know, when it comes to the Beatles, they might play the Love Me Do, the Please Please Me, but they're more likely to play, you know, um, Strawberry Fields, Penny Lane, um, Let It Be, and uh, Hey Jude. You know, they're going to be the big ones. And I'm sure if you went on Spotify... And, and, you know, you were able to look down the most played Beatles songs. Misery is going to be somewhere approaching the bottom. And that's not a criticism of the song. It does its job. It's just been given a pretty cruddy job to do, in fairness. And, and in this case, it's album filler. However, here's a quirk. Of course, you could argue that the Beatles 
version is in itself a bit of a cover because of the Kenny Lynch version. So Helen Shapiro rejected it. Kenny Lynch, the um, um, you know comedian, actor, performer, um, had his own version. It didn't chart, but if you listen to it, stylistically, it's actually fairly similar to the version that the Beatles put out. That may just be, of course, the way in which people were recording in those days, um, and the fact that there isn't a huge amount of variety when it comes to studio production at the time. But it's just sort of an interesting thought that this is um, a Beatles song, and yet the Beatles weren't the first one to release this song. Of course, that's not going to be the last time that happens, but it's just an interesting little quirk. Um, having just very quickly looked on Spotify whilst you were saying that, uh, I'm going to have to. I'm gonna, <laughs> you, you must have known I was going to do that. Um, you, um, you're wrong, funnily enough. Um, so, Misery has around 10, well, at, at time of recording, 10,446,291 uh, listens, at least one of which was me. Um, but Chains is less, Boys is less, Ask Me Why is less. Uh, Taste of Honey is less, and There's a Place is less. So it's it's just slightly halfway down the list in terms of this album. So, yeah. Is it, is it possible that people started listening to the album? And lost, lost the will to live. Songs in, and during Misery, Lost the Will to Live. Yeah, yeah, I think that's entirely possible. Yeah, I mean, obviously the big ones are, um, are, the, are the singles. Uh, there's no big surprise there. So, But it's... Yeah, it's not completely. Um, it's not completely at the bottom of the album. Um, okay, so our, 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 our next episode will actually has more listens than this one, um, which is. I'm not surprised by that. Familiar. Maybe we'll, we'll talk about that when we do that one. But actually, therefore, okay, I will go back. I will retract my comment, um, and I will say it's exactly the kind of opinion that the internet was uh, was designed for people to proffer. Um, except that usually they would stand by it and, and that would be the hill that they would die on. And I would, you know, plant my flag in the ground and say, no, misery, terrible. I'll retract it. 10 million listens, you know, that's fine. However, you know, I did refer to Genius.com and, and I think it is worth our, our many, many, many listeners um, knowing the kind of analysis that has gone into such a, a minor piece of work um, as misery. Genius.com, for those of you that don't know, uh, is a website where people with far too much time on their hands can put in what they think lyrics mean of, of almost any song. Um, and it's wonderful because you can you can highlight a phrase, a sentence or even a word and put in your analysis. And I'm particularly impressed that someone has decided to highlight verse one. I'm the kind of guy, I'm the kind of guy, just to kind of put in the rhythm, who never used to cry again, you know. I think for, for um, royalty reasons, I can't sing it. Maybe for other reasons, I can't sing it. But at least I'll put the rhythm in. And the annotation says, there have been many studies regarding why men don't cry. Okay, if this was an American legal program, I'm sure one of the lawyers would say, uh, relevance um, and why general culture dictates that strong men shouldn't. There's also been recent evidence um, that whether men cry or don't, they are more emotional than women. At this point, I'm not sure if this genius contributor is, has got his tongue firmly in his cheek or up his backside, but bear with me. Um, with modern times, he or she writes, has come the rise of sensitive men, for better or for worse, and the fall of macho men. Need I mention the fairly new phenomenon of mampering? To which my answer is yes, you should. <laughs> I guess what it means. 
but I'm certainly not going to click on the hyperlink because I'm worried about where it goes. And then the last line says, even Paul McCartney moisturizes nowadays. And I think if there's any level of earnestness in that comment, then, you know, I, I applaud that person for, for, for thinking that up. If, however, the tongue is firmly in the cheek, then I applaud that person for thinking that up. If it's a joke, it's a very well con uh, constructed joke. However, this is the Internet and, and therefore I doubt the fact that it's actually a joke. Yeah, I'm not sure earnestness or sincerity have any place near this podcast anyway. So um, but it's, it's, it's nicely covered all the same. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't know. Oh, I think one of the things that's sort of maybe obvious about this song is that I'm slightly struggling to find anything to say about it. Um, and, you know, we're just slightly over 10 minutes here. And mostly I'm thinking, well, it's got a bit of piano from George Martin on it. That's nice. And then I'm kind of hitting the buffers a little bit. And I mean, it is unusual to have that little ching 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 on the piano. And that's that's fine. That's all nice. But there's sort of musically very little to kind of distinguish it. it, it it's very... Thump the thump the thump. Like you were doing, the, you were doing the rhythm of the lyric whilst you were, while you were but that's it. It's just da dum da dum da dum da dum da dum da dum. It's not, you know, it's not setting anybody's, uh, you know, passions aflame. It's 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 not even, you know, striking a match. It's it's just very, I don't know, f functional. I suppose that's the politest way I can think. Like like when when that little sort of George Martin piano comes in and you get the little ching 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 ching, like you think, oh, it something's happened. It it you it's woken up, and but that, then that's it, and it just stops again, and it just goes back to this kind of very sort of functional feel to it. I think it's worth um, you know when perhaps when we're a few more in, going back over all the various introductions to to the songs because I think the 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 opening to this song is particularly awful. You know, that whole, the world is treating me bad, misery kind of line on its own. It just feels very cabaret now. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and I'm pretty sure that if, you know, they were looking at this and thinking, right, okay, what can we do to improve it? There would be something a bit stronger at the start because I, I think actually that puts people's backs up and they go, oh, okay, what's this? Um, but I have a theory. Here's a theory I've got for you. Um, I don't think this song started out in the way that it finished. And, and I'll note the fact that they only, they recorded in 11 takes. Um, so I reckon actually on take one, the song was called Wonderfully Happy. And take two, well, yeah, okay. <laughs> Off the boil slightly. If they'd have gone for 15 to 20 takes, I'm pretty sure it would be called Armageddon or the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Because it's the kind of, you know, you're right about the rhythm. The more you listen to it, the more the rhythm of it, the stodginess of it brings you down. So I, I can just imagine Lennon rewriting the lyrics all the way through going, no, it's no longer going to be an upbeat love song. Sorry, you know, we're out of here now. I also think that perhaps it's influenced by the fact it was written in Stoke-on-Trent, but um, I shall save myself the uh, um, the agony of of, um, of hate from people, the many people in Stoke-on-Trent who are going to listen to this podcast by just leaving that comment there. I, I, I'll, I'll balance. I, I once played a very good gig in Stoke and it was really excellent. <laughs> Both sides of the equation successfully covered. You know, that's as good a theory as any. I'm, I'm more than happy to go along with that as, as, as a theory of, of why this song just got more and more depressing as it went along. Um, that intro is weird as well. It's very kind of... 
Well, it's it's weird to start a song almost kind of in media res. It's kind of like, and we're off. Um, but that gives it a slightly um, 50s feel. I want to say Roy Orbison, but I can't immediately think of an example of a Roy Orbison song that starts that way. Um, but it's that kind of sort of 50s stylistic thing whereby you're just kind of dropped into it and then, you know, you kind of pull back and then go through the lyric of the song. So it's almost of the musical um, about that then as well. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I, I think you were right when you said cabaret. I think it, it does have that, that kind of cabaret. And again, that kind of feeds back into sort of um, the sort of whole ballroom feel to the whole thing. But it, it, it does, it, even the harmonies aren't that convincing in the opening kind of couple of lines. It's, I mean, compared to what we've heard in the previous three songs where we've, we've actively praised, or at least I've actively praised um, the harmonies and the way that they've come together. But they don't, yeah, there's not a great deal of enthusiasm to them. I think we've demonstrated much more enthusiasm in 17 and a half minutes than uh, <laughs> um, than they did in one minute 50 something or other. So um, well done us, I say. Yes, that makes us better than the Beatles. Well, uh, bigger than Jesus or something, I'm not sure. <laughs> Yeah, one of the, I think was it P.S. I Love You, you said that, um, you know, it's a 30 second song, which is just repeated four times. Yeah. Um, let's be grateful that the same trick wasn't pulled here. because yeah. <laughs> The Kenny Lynch one version is about two and a half minutes and they, they, you know, they do go back and they repeat the chorus and uh, it doesn't sound quite as winsome, uh, which is which is quite interesting. Um, but yeah, it's to stretch that one out um, a bit longer. And, you know, um, as... I laugh when I say this. As regular listeners will know, I do like to go in search of a, of a decent cover version of this, and apart from suggesting that the Beatles have done basically the, uh, 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 the definitive cover version. Um, there's, there's really nothing out there. And actually what you're starting to see now are the same names cropping up again and again and again. Um, so, you know, in terms of that, and, unless there's something significant that crops up, you know, I think I might leave that that little uh, feature alone until uh, um, I've got something something good to say on that because it's just getting a little bit depressing. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's particularly surprising that there's very little in the way of cover versions out there. Like you've mentioned before, when we've sort of talked about this, that one of the things about the cover versions is that um, with some of the songs, it's more because they're part of a Beatles project than because anybody has a particular passion for the song. Uh, but this is kind of the flip side. Not only is it um, that nobody has a passion for the song, nobody's even bothering with it in terms of, you know, sort of Beatles passion projects. Nobody can be nobody can be bothered with it. And that's not an unfair judgment. So are we saying out of those 10 million um, listens on Spotify that not one single person would have been inspired to think, I can do something with this? The evidence would seem to point in that direction, <laughs> yes. Um, so unless you want to contradict me, then yeah, I very I, much I, feel I, that's, that's the, other, the case. The other trait of, of the internet, and I will just completely flip my standpoint all over again, um, except I can't remember now if that means that I like it or not. So um, I'm probably as confused as the, uh, um, the point of view in the song itself. Yeah. Yeah, we haven't really talked much about the lyric. I wonder why. Um... Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you this it makes pink floyd's lyric look sophisticated wow that's 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 so oh dear that's, that's not great. it's like money as as a reference there and anyone wants to quibble with it just go look at the lyrics for money off one of the biggest selling albums of all time and think wow how did they get away with that 
I mean, I am by no means a Pink Floyd defender, but but I will, even I will say, you know, I I think it's possible to mention that money may have charms to it beyond merely its lyrical content. Um, uh, yeah. yeah. I can't even but, remember. Do you, do you like Pink Floyd? No, I've never really listened to it. Um, yeah, that's that's maybe something to come back to another time. Maybe we could have, have a podcast where I get schooled on, on bands I've never really listened to. I did... Um, um, you know, sort of get to the point where I thought, okay, I'll I'll see what all the fuss is about um, um, Dark Side of the Moon, and listen to it and thought, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Yeah. Fair enough. I'm 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 not. I, I, my 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 line on Pink Floyd is I like everything about Pink Floyd except the music. Yeah, um, that's, that's pretty much it. Like I, the art design, the the theory of it, the ideas, like it's all great. Okay. And then I sit down and listen to it, and I just can't be bothered. It's it's the same for me and and um, Fleetwood Mac. Fleetwood Mac, Pink Floyd. The best thing about them are, are the way in which the bandmates fall out time and time again. Oh and, yeah, yeah. Well, the, I mean, they're the perfect invocation of this song. They they are in misery. <laughs> so yes. as yeah. I as I make a half-hearted and desperate stab to drag us back onto the subject at hand. Um, no, you should just give up the ghost at this stage. Well, I mean, I feel like I, like you mentioned the lyrics are very kind of um, adolescent and sort of teenage, and that's 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 fair. And I, I, I feel like I ought to be able to expand on that a little bit, um, but I can't. But I cannot end a discussion of of this song without mentioning right at the fade, right, right just as the song is fading out, um, there are these unspeakably terrible. Backing vocals, just as all the oh my god, I think it might be one of the single worst things that they have ever recorded in their career. And it's clearly they're taking the piss, you know, there's no it's not being done seriously and they missed the target. They're clearly they're clearly taking the piss, but the piss take doesn't work either. It's just really bad in a way that the Beatles, even at their kind of most self indulgent or their worst, they're very rarely kind of make a miscalculation like that. And yet, the way that you sang it. Just in my head now, I can't get Crocodile Rock out out of my mind at all. Oh, I apologise. I'm so sorry. So um, maybe there's some inspiration there. I mean, I've got no evidence for it, but this is the internet. Who needs evidence? Well, yeah, and uh, like I said before, we're not we're not here to provide people with um, concrete facts or absolute opinions. We're just making stuff up. Sure, sure. At some stage, we'll have a go at entertainment. (laughs) Well, you know, let's 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 not set our sights too high. (laughs) Right, so I'm now begging you, please, (laughs) dare I say it, let's end this misery. Yes, let's. Okay, let's go. Let's draw a veil over this. Um, And we're just going to have to live with the fact that it's a slightly shorter episode. Thank you very much. Right, you can contact us by email. Um, We are Beatlesstuffology at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Beatles underscore ology. And you can find more of my writing at www.jgmacquarie.scot. Please like, rate, review us on whatever podcatcher you're using so that more people can find the show. Next week, we are going to be talking about the very first cover version. So we're going to be talking about Anna. Go to him. And as always, we hope you're going to join us for it. But until then, keep listening.